0: Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, holds it, looks, sets throws, pass caught, Juan a first down. Hits on the 20, 15, shoots the defender, 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska, Juan Dale Robinson's first touchdown as a cornhusker. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Well, thank you and welcome. Glad you dialed us up here on a Tuesday night. Hope you had a good day today. and We're going to have some fun over the next couple of hours. Later on in this hour, Michael Bruns, Husker 24-7. We haven't talked to Michael in some time. He's going to join us. He covers all the Husker sports, baseball, basketball, football. Uh, Has recently written a piece about one of the seniors on the Husker baseball team that has the option of coming back next year but is choosing... To uh, move on with life. He's got a job lined up and ready to move on. So we'll hear more about that from Michael a little bit later on in the hour. We start with Husker football tonight and a story that's been kind of building over the last week where you've had a number of Husker coaches who have been sending some tweets out. For instance, uh, this was came out of the 15th which would have been last Friday from Greg Austin, Husker offensive line coach. He tweeted Husker faithful. Be sure to follow coach Frost. Get ready for the show. Um, a day before, two days before that, Eric Chenander Husker defensive coordinator tweeted, make sure you are following the head Husker coach Frost coming soon. And then it's got a little animated video uh, of, of a cell phone and it kind of spins around. It's pretty cool. little graphic thing. Well, about an hour ago, uh, the head coach tweeted for the first time in, wow, probably right around a month. I think he tweeted something around the day of the spring game when we did the virtual spring game. Scott Frost tweeted something out. So he updated his Twitter today with a message for Husker fans. And for those of you who can't see this, we'll, we'll play the audio and then also on our video stream, the video part. If you can't see it, it's a lot of shots of Memorial Stadium. Aerial footage, nighttime shots, of Memorial Stadium shots coming up from the tunnels coming up from the uh, from the entrances into the stadium that's what the variations of the shots are so let's let you listen to this and then Austin and I are going to give us give you your take of all this
1: Memorial Stadium Home to the greatest fans in all of football and the longest sellout streak to prove it. 375 games and counting. If these walls could talk, what stories they would tell? If these walls could talk, they would demand perseverance in the face of defeat. Where silence echoes a pause in time, anthems of reawakening begin to arise. If these walls could talk, they would speak of the fans who once filled it. Tailgate and pre-game traditions, classic songs and superstitions, Husker power and resilience were birthed in this place. If these walls could talk, they'd rally the troops. Together we will rise, 90,000 strong again. One state, with one heartbeat. Today's eerie silence only fuels a future return. If these walls could talk, i know what they would say there is no place like nebraska
0: so there it is uh, it's a really cool video and it's just again a lot of shots of the stadium parts around the stadium walking up from one of the vomitories into the stadium at night all lit up really cool um the issue, Austin, I think, is more uh, maybe the, the buildup to this thing. When you've got coaches tweeting out to be sure to follow the head coach for this, I think people thought and maybe were led to believe this was going to be some pretty big announcement about the football program. And really, it's just kind of a psych-up video on how cool Memorial Stadium is, and we can't wait to get everybody back together inside the stadium. What did you think of when you saw this?
2: I'm with you to the point of it looks stunning it's amazing the shots are so cool memorial stadium at night i know you and i have both been there it was not a better environment in college football under the lights but the question i keep coming back to is what's the point you know why now why is this necessary why was this made if it was just to look cool i mean it didn't deserve the five day build up it's a really cool video but if that's all it is it doesn't deserve You know all the hype the other coaches were giving it when i first thought something like this was coming out when i first saw the tweets my first thought was are they coming out with their alternate jersey already for next season is that on the list is it a schedule announcement you know who's the first home opponent going to be of the revised schedule something like that or even you know a fundraiser idea how is this football program going to help the people on the front lines what are they going to do to help them out how does this bring us together in that sense But a video like this would have made more sense to me two months ago. You know, it talks about rallying the troops, you know, staying together by staying apart. That's rallying the troops. Or even put it out in two months when you tell people, yeah, we're playing football. Get hyped up. Get excited for it. The timing I don't understand, and to me it's just a lack of a point other than to certify that someone in the football production room can fly their drone over Memorial Stadium.
0: You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. That's exactly right. And, and, hey, again, it's a really cool video, and the people who put it together, congratulations. It's it's really cool. But I think when you – particularly around here, because – Husker football fans to not on to anything. I mean, if they think, if they sense there's an announcement coming, I mean, some people don't sleep. They're so (laughs) excited and ready to roll with what this is going to be. And and then here this comes. And so it's a little bit of crying wolf. And, And again. It's a wonderful video, and I encourage everybody to go out social media. You can't miss it. It's out there. It's been out for over 60 minutes now. It's all over the place, and probably a lot of you maybe have already seen it at this point in time. But the buildup was when you have the coaches tweeting out, be sure to follow Coach Frost for the show, then you think it's going to lead to something. And you're right, whether it was going to be a, a big announcement about maybe a future expansion to the stadium, maybe it was going to be... St- Something with a future schedule, an opponent, something, something that would be attached to this, and it's not there. And uh, I mean, I had some media people in the last couple of days, Austin, who've been texting me, going, "Do you know what this is? Do you know what?" Th-? And I, I didn't. I don't know what it was. Uh, I said I, I would be shocked if it's something major. And they said, "Well, that's coming, kind of I think too." But man, the, the buildup thing is, is pretty. So you got to be careful doing this because you build up your fan base into a. F- Frenzy, And then this, everybody kind of wonders, you know, it's
2: like crying wolf in the theater. Especially at a place like this, where Nebraska football is the main driver of the state. It's something that brings us all together, something that so many people care so deeply about. Setting it up with a tease like that, that's just not good for the program, you know? And I I don't think, because if you're going to keep teasing this and teasing this, and then this is all it is, Fans deserve more. They expect more. You know, bring some substance along with it.
0: Yeah. Well, if you have some thoughts about that, if you've seen it, if you th- were thinking it may be something we haven't even really talked about it here on the program the last four or five shows, I, I tweeted. I think I retweeted Eric chinanders tweet back on the 13th and said, "Okay, you got my attention now." Uh, but but I don't know. Ben and I have not addressed this on the show because I really wasn't convinced it was going to be a whole lot. And again cool video the people who put it together congratulations it's really well done uh, and if you weren't expecting something on the other side of it you'd be going wow that was really cool Did You see that but I think the problem was people were thinking there was going to be something attached to it and it wasn't there but do you have some thoughts about that we'd love to hear your take at 866 Oscar one 866-487 5371 uh, Austin tomorrow the NCAA council is going to mean they're going to talk about a couple of topics but the first one I want to bring up is the NCAA back in April, late April, put a moratorium on team activities and through the end of May. And so they're probably going to vote on updating that beginning June the 1st and whether they're going to allow activities to be held, team-related activities to be held for NCAA-sanctioned sports. The Big Ten followed along with it and put the nothing until June the 1st. The momentum seems to be that tomorrow when this council gets together, they're going to vote and say, you can start doing some team activities on June the 1st, which is two weeks from yesterday. So it would be 13 days from now. Uh, that's, the, that's the feeling I get. Austin is that the momentum is. And Dennis Dodd, who we've had on the program before from CBS Sports, wrote the same thing here in a, a column he put up about an hour ago that he's hearing from people that they're going to kind of open up the gates a little bit for some team activities to be happening for football programs. This will be really big. That means they can get together within their team rooms. They can be doing some group lifting, some group workouts. Uh, But I think that's what's going to happen tomorrow when this council votes. I think they're going to let college athletes start doing some things come June 1st
2: more and more little birdies are chirping about how we're going to play football in some form or fashion come this fall which is good it's good news and if that's the case these teams need to be together in some capacity getting in shape getting the playbook installed getting people on the same page I think it was a couple days ago, maybe late last week, Ben talked about, especially up in the Pacific Northwest and that west side of the country, how, you know, they were projecting out, you know, nothing through September. Like Oregon was the example where maybe they have to cancel their games against, you know, Ohio State, North Dakota State, really big early season games. I didn't like projecting out that far. So this is a good sign of them to say, yeah, you can probably get going. And even if it's, you know, only groups of 10 players spread out across the field. Get them on the football field. There's enough space. You can spread out 150 players in groups of 5 or 10 on a football field. Just to have them together, be teammates, have camaraderie, and start working into shape for the football season, it sounds like we're going to have.
0: You can stagger the workouts. I mean, you can have Not the wide too. receivers. You're reporting at 8 a.m. Uh, offensive linemen, you're coming at 8.30. They, they can stagger that as well. To, to go back through the timeline of all this, the NCAA canceled – all its winter and spring sports on March the 12th. Wow. March the 12th was when that happened. And then they came out in mid-April. Coaches were allowed more virtual connection to the athletes. So they've been doing Zoom meetings with their, you know, like Travis Fisher's probably been having Zoom meetings with his defensive backs. And Barrett Rood is, or Bo Rude, Barrett Rude, yeah. Barrett Rood has been having meetings with the inside linebackers virtually. But they haven't been able to get together and work out and do some chalk talks and those type of things. Uh, but I think that is going to be voted. This council is going to talk about some other topics that we'll get into a little bit later on in the program as well. But that council, which is a made up of 40 members, it's weighted by conferences. Uh, All it will take is a simple majority of the vote tomorrow to lift the moratorium. And again, I do expect that to be lifted. Come June the 1st, and we've heard even Iowa's president came out two, three weeks ago and said, well, June 1st is when we're getting this going again. <laughs> got to jump the gun on that, but I do think that's probably going to be in play tomorrow, and I, you got to imagine, particularly football coaches who know the clock is ticking if we're going to get this thing kicked off on September the 5th, cannot wait to start seeing some guys in the weight room, on the practice field, in the meeting rooms, getting together and starting to talk about the football team, particularly in most cases, Austin, most schools didn't have any spring practice. Nebraska had two, but most of them didn't have any spring workouts.
2: Right. I'm sure there's a difference between what the Nebraska football players have been doing at home on their own and what Zach Duval will be putting them through once they get back to campus. I think those are two completely different beasts there. And, you know, college football coaches, they like having their guys around. They like having their hands on them, being able to mold them, teach them put them in the positions there's only so much you can accomplish via these virtual meetings it's a good middle ground for what we could be able to do what they were able to do but getting them back they've got to be chomping at the bit
0: the the sec is going to their presidents meet on friday to take a vote the mac presidents do the same thing the big 12 presidents met on monday but did not reach a decision i think they're waiting for this vote from the ncaa council tomorrow uh, to maybe swing some doors open beginning June the 1st. All right, those are some of the topics we're tackling here tonight. If you have some thoughts, 866-HUSKER1, 866-487-5371. We'll give you some time to maybe pull up that video, watch it, tell me what you think of that. Do you feel duped a little bit? Do you feel like you got taken a little bit by this? If you do, that's fine. Love to hear from you on that as well. Phone lines are open. Michael Bruns of Husker 24-7 also will be joining us in the next segment as we roll along here on a Tuesday night of Sports Nightly. We're delighted to be welcome on the board of the program now. Michael Brunts of Husker 24-7. He covers everything Huskers related, including Husker baseball. We're going to start with that tonight. But, Michael, welcome on board the program. Glad you're with us. Hope you're doing okay during all these crazy times we're living in now.
3: Yeah, just, uh, just kind of waiting for, for something to happen, I guess. You know working in the yard but uh, you know staying stay distanced and uh, safe that's about all I can do right now I think
0: so yard work that's what's keeping you busy these days
3: yeah yeah we're uh, <laughs> we're not quite to uh, Sunday at Augusta national conditions here we're, we're still working uh, working on like muni muni type stuff here Bushwood Country Club I think Nice
0: well uh, I know you you w- wish this too I, I was hoping to see a lot of people at Td Ameritrade this week for the Big Ten tournament how much have you missed college baseball the last two months
3: yeah I mean it's for, for those of us that don't uh, make the trips and those early season early season uh, weekends things are just kind of getting going uh, it, when they pull the plugs so it's kind of kind of disappointing um you know kind of eager to see what the 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 rest of year one of the Will bolts era was going to look like and i didn't get that so uh you know nothing you can really do about that i guess but yeah it's uh i keep kind of sneaking a peek at the baseball schedule every once in a while kind of thinking okay they they would have been playing you know michigan this weekend or you know you'd be looking at at, at attorney seating and stuff like that and uh it's going to be tough. I mean, it's the, the, the hard one's going to be in June when uh, when it's empty down in Omaha. I think that's going to be uh, kind of an eye-opener.
0: Yeah, the next month for the folks and the merchants up around Omaha is going to be kind of a, a heavy heart, I'm afraid. Well, after the season got halted, the NCAA did allow the senior class to, for a chance to come back, and I know you've been doing some digging on that story, including sitting down with Ty Roseberry. What have you been able to learn?
3: Yeah, you know Ty, like the rest of the seniors, had an opportunity to, to come back. You know, Will Bolt and his staff, you know, told all those guys, you know, there's a spot for you. Uh, we want you back. And uh, you know, Ty is one of those guys who, you know, kind of put everything into you know what he thought was going to be his senior year. He was battling some injuries, and uh, you know, we've kind of seen this over the, the last couple of years, I guess, where you know guys kind of have a decision to make when they get to the end of their careers about. You know, balancing potentially playing professional baseball with, uh, you know, jobs outside of baseball if they start to get lined up. And that was kind of the case with Ty Roseberry, where uh, he's got an internship this summer, uh, probably leading into a full time job in January when he graduates. So uh, he decided to, to hang it up. Uh, I know that was a tough decision for him, uh, kind of given how his career played out with starting at UNK and having that program shut down and then coming to Nebraska. So he's kind of bounced around. But, uh, you know, I, it sounds like, you know, the, the rest of the seniors are uh, either for sure coming back or, or still kind of weighing some of those decisions, but uh, Ty won't be back. And, you know, I know he's grateful for his time in Lincoln. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it, it's going to be intriguing with the roster, how they kind of make everything work with the guys coming in and uh, the, some of the seniors coming back, too.
0: Will Bolt and the staff, Michael, have been on the job now almost 11 months. That's how quick that's gone. How how do you assess the job they've done on the recruiting trail in their first year in Lincoln?
3: Yeah, you know, they came in, and and from the get-go, you know, Will said they want to build this program around uh, local talent. And, you know, I I think they've done a pretty nice job of of getting guys uh, out of the Omaha and Lincoln areas and, and across the state Uh, to be a part of this program for for coming years, Um, you know, with with the way the baseball recruiting calendar works, uh, you're recruiting two, three, sometimes even four years ahead um, uh, for for guys who are going to be part of your program. And I I think that, you know, from talking to coaches in in Omaha and, and in Lincoln who you know, deal with some of the top talent in the state. They've been really impressed with the the work that Will and Jeff Christie and Lance Harvell have put in and, and just being at games and, and scouting guys and, and really kind of making a presence uh, here in the state. And, you know, the other thing they've done, too, that I think has been pretty impressive is, is they've, you know, really dipped into the junior, in the junior college ranks and they're getting guys who uh, played in, in uh, high school ball in Nebraska, uh, maybe weren't going to get the at-bats or, or innings that they thought they would get. Um, and, and went to JUCO ranks, and, you know, the, the, these guys have done a nice job of using their contacts, uh, keeping up with those guys, and, and finding some some impact-type guys that can kind of help fill in your roster too. So they've been active uh, for sure, and, and I think they have a really clear idea uh, of what they're looking for, uh, and especially on offense. I, I think that's one area where I, I've really – you can tell kind of what they're looking to do there. So I, I've been impressed with the work they've put in, and it seems like they've been here so much longer than 11 months uh, when you put it that way.
0: Visiting again with Michael Brunts of Huskers 24-7 here on Sports Alley on the Huskers Sports Network. This was to have been the week of the Big Ten tournament up at TD Ameritrade in Omaha, but the college baseball season was was halted with everything else in the sports world two months ago. Michael, we're starting to hear some news around the country of some baseball programs getting dropped. Um, It could be a sport that suffers, couldn't it, with this COVID-19 and some budget problems for universities around the country? I don't think Nebraska falls into that category, but the sport itself could take a bit of a hit, don't you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of uh, you know, nervous coaches around the country. And, and like I said, I mean, I, I think the Browns is fine. Uh, they support baseball. It's a, it's a big deal here. Uh, so no worries there. But, you know, when you start looking at, at some kind of mid-major programs where, uh, you know, the, the, the baseball only funds the 11.7 scholarships. And, you know, you've got a lot of schools, I think it's up to around 40%, don't even fund the full amount uh, as it is now. So, you know, when you kind of start looking at, at the, the economics of things and, and if you have to make cuts, unfortunately, uh, you know, baseball is kind of uh, in the crosshairs a little bit. And, you know, I, I think kind of looking ahead to the next season and maybe a couple seasons in the future after that, I, I think you're going to see, you know, the, the, the effects of this with scheduling and kind of how teams go about doing that, who they play, when they play them. Uh, so, you know, I, I think baseball is going to, Kind of take some hits on this deal, Uh, you know, certainly, you know, with some programs being eliminated and also just uh, belt tightening and and maybe, uh, you know, kind of having to go about things a little bit differently for a few years uh, once stuff's all passed.
0: Well, as we mentioned, the, the Bolt crew, they've been out recruiting pretty well. They announced a couple of signees just a few weeks ago. Football certainly has been active on the recruiting trail. Are you surprised that, that coaches have been able to secure some commitments, even though we're in a, a period of time where nobody can go visit anybody, nobody can come on campus and visit? Have you been surprised by the recruiting activity we've seen out there?
3: Yeah, it's been interesting, especially in football, to to kind of watch you know what's going on. I mean, you know, comparing this year in the 2021 class to uh, classes in the past. I mean, you've already seen two and three times uh, the number of commitments nationally uh, than you would normally. And I think part of that is just because a lot of prospects, you know, they're not able to take visits we weren't able to do it in the spring. Uh, They're not going to be able to do it uh, in June either. And a lot of guys, I think, are kind of looking to lock in spots. And, you know, I I don't blame them one bit. I mean, in in the uncertainty, you kind of want to know that you have a place to land. And I think you're seeing a lot of schools kind of press guys to to commit, and and guys are are certainly doing that. Uh, What does that mean once we get into uh, the season, whatever that looks like, and and maybe a little bit closer to signing day? I think you'll probably see – uh, more flips, more decommitments uh, than you would normally, I know, this time of year compared to how usually it is, those numbers are way down. So, uh, you know, while, while guys have spots now, uh, we'll see if that's still the case in, you know, November, December. But uh, it really has been uh, pretty active uh, recruiting-wise. And, and, you know, think about it. I mean, the coaches – uh, aren't able to, to coach their current players. Uh, you know, they're sitting around at home uh, on Zoom or texting or social media or whatever, and they have a lot of time to, to dedicate to recruiting. So it, it's been, uh, you know, maybe a, a positive in that way that maybe allow teams to make up time. But uh, it, it's definitely been busy uh, the last couple of months, even though we haven't had uh, any any real sports going on.
0: Well, don't you – I mean – one thing that Husker football, they got the, uh, the, the young man from LSU, is going to, the kicker who's going to grad transfer to Lincoln. It looks like that's been a, lot, a topic of a lot of meetings in North Stadium, don't you think, since the end of last season with his poor? There's not much other way to sugarcoat it. It was a poor special teams group. Nebraska ran out there last fall, and it cost them a couple of games. That looks like it's been a point of emphasis with Scott Frost and the staff.
3: Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, you look at them bringing in Jonathan Rutledge uh, as an analyst to, to run special teams. Uh, I think that was a, a big sign of the importance uh, of what that, that part of the game means uh, over there. Uh, you know, you give up a couple of kickoff returns for touchdowns uh, late in the season, and that's how you how you lose games, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, the, the kind of revolving door that Nebraska had at kicker this past year was pretty well documented. I, I think you needed to get better. Uh, personnel-wise there for sure at at the kicker and punter spots. And, you know, you just need to create competition. And I I think that's what they've kind of done with some of the guys they've brought in uh, as walk-ons and and certainly uh, scholarship punter as well from Australia. So I I think it's been a big uh, area of emphasis. I also think, too, you know, one area that's going to improve is is the coverage uh, units. You've got a lot of guys uh, at the safety spots, the corner spots, the linebacker spots, those guys that kind of make up the, the bulk of your uh, coverage units, and that's another area that Nebraska needed to get better. And I think uh, with a little bit more consistency there, they will be. So they've certainly, uh, they have certainly they weren't shy about needing to get better there uh, after the last season. I think they've definitely uh, kind of backed that up with some of the moves they've made.
0: Yeah, it's a great point in the coverage units. With more depth, that usually helps out those cover teams in special teams. Well, how, how much has this uh, this shutdown affected your coffee drinking? Have you been able to find your favorite coffee brews around town, or has that been limited in the last two months?
3: You had to get a little, a little creative at home. Yeah. You always want to make sure that you, you got to it, – it's like everything now. You got to work ahead a little bit, <laughs> make sure you, you don't get stuck – Uh, you know at 8 in the morning without a a cup of coffee so we've been making we've made do over here Um, a few tense moments when you got down to the bottom of that coffee bag but (laughs) we're doing okay.
0: Well I know you love your coffee. Well Michael we appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Try to stay busy and we'll look forward to the day when you all get back to some press conferences here.
3: Definitely. Sounds good Greg. Have a good one.
0: We think them up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. Brought to you by Union Bank and Trust at Union Bank and Trust. All your banking needs are taken care of by real people who really care. Stop by and you'll see that you belong here. Union Bank and Trust, member FDIC. A couple days ago on on our SNBL stream, we got talking about amazing baseball uh, high marks DiMaggio's 56 game winning streak and Ripken's consecutive game streak and that got us to thinking that wouldn't be a bad top 10 topic top 10 amazing individual sports records I had a blast putting this together guys how about you
2: oh absolutely I mean there's so many records that you know even Joe DiMaggio said records are made to be broken but a lot of these aren't going to be and that's kind of how I formed my list especially across a lot of different eras the games have changed so much football basketball baseball regardless they've all changed so much since the time some of these records were set so i did my list in the order i think they would be you know least likely to be broken in and some of that is of course era dependent
4: yeah i i agree with you austin it was it was a fun list to put together i found myself doing a lot of baseball uh records and i think that Part of that is just because baseball has changed a lot over the years, but it's also stayed the same in a lot of different ways. So it's kind of easy to compare eras. There were a few things in baseball that I, I decided to leave out just because there's just it's so far over the top that I don't know if that's ever going to be broken. But um, yeah, it, this was definitely a fun list to put together. I had one of those as
0: well, Josh. I'm like, yeah, I just that's probably an easy one to put on there, but I just think it was such a different game in that era that I yep. just didn't. I left it off. So all right. Also, why don't you lead us off?
2: Thank you much. I'll start out on the gridiron. I have a football record here at number 10. I've got Emmitt Smith's career rushing record, 18,355 yards. The game of football has just changed so incredibly much, like I just noted. And I know, you know, sports are cyclical. Trends go in and out. And we see teams like the Ravens and the Titans really getting back to that power run game. But running backs just don't last as long as Emmitt Smith did. I mean, even starting with Barry Sanders, who retired young, running backs just don't last. Frank Gore is the obvious exception, but he's not even going to pass Emmitt Smith. So the opportunities Emmitt Smith got, the talent he possessed, I don't think there's ever going to be that perfect situation to get to 18,356.
4: Yeah, there's no way that uh, another running back gets gets that far. I agree with that. I'm gonna go with basketball for my number ten, and a guy who made a few appearances on The Last Dance, John Stockton of the Utah Jazz. His fifteen thousand eight hundred and six cool. career assists is just ridiculous. And I I know that there are probably some, maybe some guys in today's era that could maybe approach that, like a Russell Westbrook. Like he's he's a guy that dishes out a lot of assists, but. I, I just, I don't know. That's, I think there was a stat where he led the league in assists for like nine straight seasons. It's just unbelievable. He averaged over 10 assists in, in his career. So I think that that's a record that that is right up there. And that's impressive to me to do that for so long. He was such a good player. And those were really good
0: jazz teams that just couldn't get over the Bulls in those two finals in 97 and 98. The, those two perfected the pick and roll, Stockton to Malone. I mean, that, that just, they just lived on that. And other teams knew what was coming. He just couldn't couldn't stop stop it. It. Just amazing. He was a wizard uh, at that. we're all going different sports with our number 10. I'm going baseball with my number 10. And I got Pete Rose's hit record here at 4,256. He beat Josh's Ty Cobb uh, to to take that record away from him. I I just kind of feel like somebody could get there. I I just think baseball lends itself, and it's become such an offensive game that somebody could get hot and make a run at that record. So, um, yeah, that's why I've got Rose at number 10. And he'd be in the Hall of Fame if I were commissioner.
2: There you go. <laughs> Someday. Give it five years. And get, get him in. Speaking of making a run at records, I've got a running record here at number nine. Ricky Henderson, his career stolen base record of 1,406 stolen bases. The game has really devalued the stolen base. Yeah. We've heard that come up in conversation something major league baseball is looking into fixing and it's not that stealing bases is now analytically bad it's just you have to be so successful to make the numbers work the success rate you have to have is between 70 and 75 percent and maybe there are guys that have the speed to steal that many bases like d gordon but he doesn't get on base like ricky does that's another perfect mix of opportunity and talent for ricky henderson which is why i don't think his record gets even close to touched
4: there you go all right. My number nine is also baseball, and I go with Nolan Ryan. I could have picked a couple here, and I might later on too. But this first one at number nine, I have his seven career no-hitters, which is it, its unbelievable to me that, he's, that he did that. And I know that he had a very long career. But what's most impressive to me, I think, is that he was still doing it late in his career when he was well into his 40s, like still throwing – Throwing no-hitters, so um, it, it's something that is I think maybe attainable if you get the right person to do it, but it's it's so difficult because not very many guys even will throw complete games, much less go for no-hitters. So I that, that that one to me is something that stands right up there as something super impressive in in baseball. Just not as many opportunities for guys anymore with that. My number nine, I'm going golf. And I've got the Golden
0: Bear, Jack Nicklaus's 18 majors. And I think this is in doubt because Tiger's still playing, right? I mean, Tiger's three away. I mean, he still could – he still has time to go get that record. And so that's why if Tiger doesn't get it, I think it's going to be really hard for anybody else just because there's so many good players now in that sport. But Tiger's still there. So that's why I'm going to leave it at nine and not have Nicholas hire
2: number eight for me as well that i would, i'm interested to see where you guys rank i've got jolton joe here his 56 game hit streak down at number eight we've seen people get within spitting distance of spitting distance of i mean greg sharp hall of famer pete rose got to 44 back in the late 70s. Sure You've seen did. guys get to 30-something in the modern era. So I don't think it gets broken, but there's there's a path to doing it. You know, a couple hot months, get a lucky bounce here, or there, friendly scorekeeping decision here and there. There's a path to it. Unlikely, impressive, but possible.
4: Well, you mentioned a key word there, luck. There is a lot of luck involved mm-hmm. in that too, but... Uh, My number eight, I'm going to go with the Olympics. Michael Phelps and his 28 Olympics medals. You could have gone with the number of gold medals he has here too, but just the fact that he's racked up that many, and he was obviously dominant in a few uh, Olympics, but the fact that the longevity that he had to come back and and do it again in 2016 was pretty impressive and then i mean there have been people who have said maybe he would have come back and, and done it in 2020 he kind of nixed that but that would have been fun to see him come back this year if it had been held or even maybe maybe now he's given another year and he's he'll make a decision <laughs> to come back and do it in 2021 but yeah Five michael Olympics. phelps whew, that's oh, crazy God. especially in that sport the sport of swimming to do it yeah. that long is crazy that's
0: crazy. I'm going to the National Football League for my number eight. Jerry Rice's receptions market, one thousand five hundred and forty-nine. 1,549. He's got a 200 reception advantage over the next closest guy, and that was Tony Gonzalez. I think Larry Fitzgerald might be the, the active guy that's got the best chance of catching up to him. But you know, is he even playing? Is Fitzgerald still
2: playing? Yeah, he's still around in Arizona. Yeah, okay. yeah hanging he, on.
0: But I, I just don't think he can get 250 or 300 more. So Jerry Rice, what an amazing career. Perfect system for a guy to get a lot of catches and great quarterbacks to throw them to him with Montana and Young.
2: I contemplated having that one on my list, but given the way football is gone and how much more passing there is, I don't know if any active player now is going to get there. Maybe a first or second year guy currently will. But that's one I'm, I'm a little iffy on, I think, just with as much passing as there is in football you know, maybe it gets broken. But one Ryman locks up with you, Greg. Jack Nicklaus is 18 majors. Like you said, there's still a chance Tiger gets there. If he doesn't, though, it's over. That's it. 18's untouched.
4: (laughs) (laughs) There it is. All right. I uh, go back to baseball for my number seven. I'm going with Bob Gibson and his 1.12 ERA back in the late 60s. And there is a little bit of a caveat to this one because that was the year before they uh lowered the mound and so you know he was pitching on that you know the mound that was a little bit higher and was a little bit harder for hitters to hit you know but so there's a little bit of that but still i don't i just don't know how you can compare to that because nobody had done that before then either on on the higher mound so um i you have to hand it to him that was an unbelievable season to do that for an entire year basically giving up one earned run per nine innings that's just I can't even fathom that nowadays. You know you're good when they're changing rules because
0: of you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Gibson
0: Gibson has that. My number seven, uh, Austin had it at eight. And here's where I've got DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. I just think somebody could get on a run, and we've had a couple guys kind of at least take a peek at it in in the last 15, 20 years. And I think it could still be, but it's still an amazing run. Back in 1941, DiMaggio put that thing together. Pretty incredible.
2: Moving on to number six, I go back to the hardwood, to the basketball court. I've got Rashid Wallace and his 41 technicals in the 2000-2001 <laughs> season. That's yes. absolutely unheard of. That's won every other game, essentially. So, she'd played only in 80 games, 41 technical fouls. And that's Im- almost impossible in this era because they changed a rule late in Wallace's career. So, if you get 16 technicals, every one after that, you're suspended without pay for a game for everyone after that. So say you go on Wallace's pace. I mean, you're suspended by game 32 and then you're (laughs) paying on top of that. It takes a concerted (laughs) effort to break that. I don't think anyone's going to be willing to.
4: No way. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. I'm glad you put that on there because there's no way I would have even thought of that one. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) All right. My number six, I'm going to the NFL for this. And Brett Favre's 297 consecutive games played. And I know that the Cal Ripken Jr. one is probably more of the well-known one. But to me, this is almost, it's as impressive to me, or maybe more so in some ways, just because it's in the sport of football, of being able to stay healthy or play through injuries in a sport that is just so hard on the body. So Brett Favre is my number six, his almost 300 consecutive games played. It's 321 if you include the playoffs true unbelievable he was an iron man the way he was out there
0: all right my number six uh, I've got Wilt the stilts 100 point game uh, Kobe had an 81 point game uh, I, I don't know that it's gonna go away but scoring is up in the NBA now but 100s a high high bar Wilt's another guy like Bob Gibson who had rule changes because of his size it's why they outlawed dunking in college basketball. It was because of Will Chamberlain for several decades before they brought it back. So I've got Chamberlain at number six.
2: Moving along to the top five, this is another super-era dependent one. I've got Cy Young up here, 511 wins, honorable mention to his 749 complete games. Pitchers just don't throw that much anymore. And, you know, obviously 511 wins is impressive, but I, I highly doubt Cy Young was throwing 95 with a nasty breaking ball up in the lower <laughs> 90s or upper 80s. So his shoulder is probably in different shape than Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, or Jacob deGrom's will be. So no one's ever touching that. Was that the one you were talking about, Josh?
4: Yes, that was the one that Me I definitely – I, I, I had yeah. that, and there was one other one on my list. I, I, I don't want to say it in case you guys have it on there, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely one of the ones that I left off. But uh, my number five, I do go with baseball here, and Nolan Ryan, again, this time uh, his 5,714 career strikeouts. And, again, the fact that he was still just mowing guys down when he was in his 40s and, the you know, 90s play- – played in the 60s 70s 80s and 90s four different decades is crazy to me so I uh I have him here with his career strikeout numbers there's was a time where people thought maybe that like a Randy Johnson would be able to reach him and he played a long time Mm -hmm. had a ton of strikeouts but he didn't even get into the 5,000 so I don't think that's going to be a record that's touched yeah I think you're right on that number five I'm going hockey I don't think we've
0: had a hockey one in here and I've got Wayne Gretzky's point total in his career 2,857 career points a thousand point advantage over the second place guy in the history of the NHL unbelievable he was called the great one for a reason so I've got Gretzky at five
2: the great one on josh's snbl team ty cobb takes my number four spot i've got ty cobb and his 366 career batting average you now again another era but just a great pure hitter this is i think more impressive than ted williams 406 season i put that more on par with dimaggio and his 56 game history because again one great season someone gets hot we've had runs at it But no one's going to hit, you know, 366 for a career anymore. The best average hitters today are 340, 350. But 366 over a 20-plus year career, uh, no.
4: Yeah, Cobb's only hitting 338 in the SNBL this season. He needs to step it up a little bit. What is he doing? I'll take his his home run numbers, though, in exchange (laughs) for that. but all right my number uh four here is one that you guys have both had already um at seven and eight respectively joe dimaggio's 56 game hit streak i know that i it seems like it's attainable but it just isn't there's part of it is like i said there's a lot of luck that goes into it there there has to be some luck but the fact that you can just consistently go out there and put the ball in play hit enough line drives every single day for that long of a stretch. That's basically over two months of of a real season of actual days and almost, you know, I mean, 56 games. So that's just pretty um, unbelievable to me. And I know that guys have gotten into the 40s, but I don't think we see anybody get up to 50 again.
0: All right, my number four, I'm going NASCAR, Richard Petty, the King. 200 NASCAR wins, and it's like 90 more than anybody else in history of NASCAR. Again, it's just too much, too competitive now. Too many even drivers. Nobody's going to sniff 200 NASCAR wins. Just he, he was in that era of NASCAR before everybody really got into the team concept of it. But Richard Petty, the king, is my number four.
2: Number three for me, Josh had down at number eight. I've got Michael Phelps up here, and I did go with his 23 Olympic gold medals, eight of them in a single Olympics. I mean, Mark Spitz looked untouchable for a while, then. Here comes Michael just flying through the water. I remember watching some of those races, cheering him on, just hoping he would break it. That was so awesome to watch. And again, like, like with Emmett Smith, this is a mix of talent and opportunity. Now, how many swimmers nowadays are doing all the events that Michael Phelps is doing? How many of them have the talent to be world class in all of them? Not many, if any. So I think Michael's 23 golds is darn near untouchable.
4: Yeah. All right, I stick with baseball for my number three in Austin. You had this one a little bit earlier at number nine of Ricky Henderson's over 1,400 career stolen bases, and to me, this one is era dependent. I know people stole a lot more bases back then, but the the sheer volume by the lead that he has over Lou Brock has just a little over 900, so he has 500 more stolen bases than the next guy who has a lot more than the next guy after that so I I know that there were a lot more it was a different game back then but still the fact that he he perfected the art he obviously had the god-given ability to run fast but he also perfected the art of stealing bases and he did it a lot so I have Ricky Henderson's 1,406 stolen bases at number three he was fun to watch I didn't like him because he wasn't ever on my (laughs) team but he was fun to watch
0: I line up with Austin with my three. Here's where I've got Michael Phelps, and I go with the 28 overall medals over the five Olympic Games. I just think it's a mark. And you, you mentioned Mark Spitz. Mark Spitz set all those marks in 1972, so his records stood for three decades. It was a long time mm-hmm. for Mark Spitz, but Phelps was certainly the, the greatest swimmer of all time, and I think that's going to last a long, long time.
2: I have the greatest hockey player of all time up at number 2. Greg you had it at number 5 Wayne Gretzky's nearly 2600 career points. Yeah, he was good. <laughs> <You> <laughs> Not <know>. bad. Analysis.
4: <laughs> Not bad. All right, my number 2 uh, this one has also been mentioned this one by you Greg. Wilt Chamberlain's 100 point game and I yeah, this one might be touchable and I know that, you know, he was just dominant in an era where he was, you know, just a freak of nature, but Still, I just, that's unbelievable. And, and, and in an era where there weren't three-pointers either, he was getting all yep. either two-pointers or a free throw. So to put together a 100-point game, and there's something that's I, I feel like sticks out about that too, that it's right on the nose, 100 points. It's not 98, it's not 99, it's 100 points. That's something that's pretty easy to remember. He was a bad free throw shooter, too. So fouling him was maybe the
0: hack-a-shack might have been the way to play him back in in the day when he did that.
2: Speaking of individual records like that, Wilt and DeAndre Jordan are tied for the most free throws missed in a game of 22. Is that right? See someone break that record. There you go.
4: Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, that would he he could do intentionally if you wanted to, maybe, (laughs) if you really wanted to.
0: I'm going golf with
2: my number two,
0: and I'm going back to the 19. Late 1940s, Byron Nelson, who won 11 straight PGA events. He won 18 tournaments that year, but 11 in a row. Again, the way the sport is now, there's so many good players. Nobody's going to win 11 straight PGA events ever again. So I've got Byron Nelson at number two.
2: Tough cut for me. Number one here, I've got the Ironman. Cal Ripken, 2,632 consecutive games played. There for a while, I thought the Royals were going to give Elcides Escobar a chance to break it, roll him out in a wheelchair sooner than later and <laughs> keep him at shortstop to give him a shot at it. But thankfully that didn't happen. I just think it's incredible just to show up for that many days in a row ready to play baseball, as Cal Ripken did, represent Baltimore the way he did for that long. Absolutely incredible. And it's not about today's players being soft. You know, rest is good for a player. Save their arms, save their legs. So I don't think players are soft in that they won't break Cal's record. It's just a testament to how darn tough Cal Ripken was and how dedicated he was. Yeah, no doubt. I have that one at number one as well, the 2,560
4: two consecutive games played for Keller ripken jr and what's funny to me is like you every once in a while there would be guys that would kind of creep up there and have at least a streak worth noting i remember even like a prince fielder was on there and i just looked it up his longest streak was 547 games played which is you know about three seasons worth so you're just you're playing every game for three seasons that's that's impressive but i mean to do it for as long as he did it's i mean i I couldn't – I I had a hard time playing in the summer where i play, you know, all 20 <laughs> games or 30 games or how many ever we played. But to do that, you know, 162 times and play through injuries and all of that is just incredible. 16 years. That's how long that thing lasted, 82 to 98.
0: Making a clean sweep. I've got the Iron Man at number one for me. I just don't think anybody's going to touch it. I believe – I think it's Wint Merrifield of the Royals is – has the longest current streak in baseball right now and it might be five or six hundred, so long shouting <laughs> way away from that. I was kinda of hope we'd have some different ones at one, but we all lined up with our same number one. Can we Twitter pull this, Austin? Or Josh, what do you think? What can we put him yeah, up there for
2: Oh yeah. We'll do we'll do put, Cal. Wilt, we can do Michael put Wilt
4: Wilt Wilt. Wilt yep. maybe Phelps Yep. Yeah, that's good. For sure. Yep. Yeah, and by that. the way, here's, here's the other one that I left off. You, neither of you guys had this one. Old Haas Radborn, 59 <laughs> wins in a, in a single season. 59 wins. A lot of, Like, even the best pitchers, it takes them three years to get to 59 wins. So that's what, what, Old Haas. When was that? Oh, it was in the 1800s. It was, was before it? they changed all yeah. the rules. So it was he was probably throwing underhand at that point. It was, Cy Young so. pitched every other day. Right. Yeah. When Cy yeah. Young said that thing, he was pitching on one
0: day's rest. So that right. tells you he's probably throwing about sixty miles per hour. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so his arm didn't fall off. All right, that was fun. Josh, appreciate it. Thank you. Problem. For being a part of that one, we'll get the Twitter poll put up and ready. Eight six six Husker one. The number if you want to be a part of this one again. Our runs a Twitter poll. What's the most impressive individual record what's in enough? sports? Our choices: Wilt's one hundred point game. Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak, Michael Phelps' 28 medals, or you could leave some other comments. Right now, Phelps' medals winning, guys, with 46% of the vote. Um, Wayne Gretzky in the other category getting mentioned by several different guys uh, for all the records he had, and we had that on our list. We had the Gretzky one on our list. And then one guy had Edwin Moses. He was the Mm -hmm. 400-meter hurdler who won 107 straight races. (laughs) That's a pretty good one to throw in there.
2: Wow. 107 yeah. straight. I don't know if I've run 107 times in my life, let alone enough to win 107 <laughs> times in a row.
0: That's a hard yeah. event, Josh, that 400-meter oh. hurdles. Y- yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. No joke. Because <laughs> you're sprinting basically around the track and leaping over hurdles. That is one tough thing. Okay. And, hey, the Gretzky thing is legit. I mean, you, you can make a pretty strong case for what Gretzky did in his career on the ice.
4: Yeah, and – uh, Austin actually said we had Clark call back in and mention wanted to mention that Ted Williams also missed time in the 50s because of the Korean War, in addition yeah. to the uh, World War II. And I'm po- I have his career stats up. He missed all of 43, 44, and 45 because of World War II. He didn't actually miss any seasons, full seasons in the 50s, but he didn't hardly play at all in 52 or 53. He played six games and 37 games those two years. So that's even more yeah. at-bats that he's missing from the prime of his career. That's why a lot of people will say when you
0: put together the all-time greats, he has to be there because without that, particularly the 43, 44, and 45, those are the prime years where he could have put up monster numbers. But he chose the, the bigger cause, and that was to go fight for his country. So um, the splendid splinter, amazing player. kind of wish I would would put him on my... SNBL team, but I'm happy with. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna stay was, with Willie
4: Mays. Yeah, you're good. You're good.
2: <laughs> you two both have a leading MVP candidate on your roster. No complaining yeah, well, from from that side no, of the we're, peanut we're, gallery. We're <laughs> well, good I
4: feel like
0: <laughs> your guy's okay too, yeah. Austin. He's, he's all he's the way down fine. at
2: third in the MVP voting. <laughs> well,
0: uh, he'll take it. Yeah, Cobb and Mays have been pretty darn good. At Union Bank and Trust, all your banking needs are taken care of by real people who really care. Stop by and you'll see that you belong here. Union Bank and Trust member FDIC. Tomorrow night, Husker Huddle returns. Jeremiah Searles will talk with Brandon Riley, who announced last week that he's retiring. Looking forward to the famous face-off tomorrow night. See if Ben can get back in the game tomorrow night. Have some fun with that here on the program thanks to josh for sitting in on our top 10 list this hour and thanks to all you some good calls this hour we had fun that was a fun category to dive into here on this hour of sports